Welcome to the Trades Podcast, a podcast about the business of home improvement and promoting the trades to young adults. In this podcast, we talk with business owners, educators, and professionals about the benefits, skills, and related experiences of the home improvement business. Tips to help you with being successful from entry into the trades or established business owners. In this podcast, we hope to influence some young adults that the trades as a career is a great option leading to full and prosperous life. I'm Danny Torres, an MC, DJ, and podcaster, inspiring young adults by shining light onto career opportunities in our world today. And I'm Jeff Mudd, home improvement contractor, writer of the Millionaire Carpenter series, and podcaster. Stay tuned to 15 to 20 minutes of insightful tips. Good afternoon, folks. This is Jeff Mudd here with the Trades Podcast. We are here at the BBB Ignite Studio in San Diego, and we have a what I would call a very unique and special guest. Jeff Bingham with Bingham Construction is here to talk about the construction industry, uh, how he got into it, which is, I think, uh, an interesting story, and his perspective on where the trades and uh, construction is going. So welcome, Jeff. Glad to have you here. Uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm Jeff Bingham. I'm the owner of Bingham Construction. We're a fourth-generation general contractor, started by my great-grandfather, Roy, in 1942 in Sacramento, California. And that was passed on to my grandfather and great-uncle, and then my dad and my cousin all were involved in the company in some some uh, level of participation to about the mid-'80s. And by then, either everyone either went off and did their own thing or... Um, passed away. And in 2008, I started the company back up here in San Diego. And we've been in business here uh, ever since 2008. For me personally, uh, I'm Southern California native and lived in San Diego for, gosh, almost 30 years now. Okay. I've, I've worked in the industry outside of Bingham Construction. I've worked some for some of the other lar- larger general contractors here in the area. And I would say one of my claims to fame in my previous uh, work history is a renovation of the El Cortez Hotel in downtown oh, wow. San Diego. So if you've been down there, if you've seen it, uh, and I don't know if you've lived in San Diego for a long period of time, but you probably remember what a dilapidated state it was in, you know, in the 80s and the 90s. And we came in there around 1999, 2000 and turned it into what it is today. That, that so. was a big deal at the time when they it did sure the was. That was kind of the beginning of the, the whole downtown uh, boom. Really uh, Petco Park and some of the other big uh, projects that developed over that time period. That was the, the genesis of all that. So that was very exciting. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm California native myself, Jeff. So, okay. Uh, don't know everything here, but uh been around for quite a while. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the El Cortez, you got your feet wet there, it sounds like. Yeah, we, you know, I've done, worked on a lot of projects, but w- when I went out on my own in 2008, I decided that, you know, we were, industry really needed some help in what we do call, what we call tenant improvement work. And so basically we walk into somebody's office within a building, much like the BBB building we're in now, and we renovate existing office space and create new space and in a nutshell. But we also work in different industries like industrial warehouses. We work in senior living facilities. We work in medical clinics. Uh, we work in restaurants, retail. So it's a whole wide gamut of project types and, and project industries that we're in. Um, but in any event, we, you know, we basically handle the inside work of a construction project. We don't really get a whole lot of ground up type project work. So that's, that's a little bit about what types of projects we're working on. Yeah, so TI, tenant improvement work is uh, their specialty. 
Yes, sir. Um, it's it's definitely um, a unique uh, niche in the construction world, um, and a lot of people have done very well in it. Um, I've spent some time uh, before I had Jeff come down here looking at uh, um, some of the projects they've got posted on their uh, social media and the website and stuff, and very very impressive work. So some beautiful Thank you. projects. Um, so I'm going to lead in with. Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, Jeff, what are some of the projects that you've done that uh, kind of hit the heart, make you, f- make you feel really proud that you got to work on them? Well, I think it kind of goes back to our, our role in senior living. We worked for two of the larger senior providers here in San Diego. One of them is St. Paul Senior Services. The other one is Covenant Living at Mount Miguel. And both of those facilities have a different, have various ranges of senior cares from independent living where people basically just have like apartments and they can come and go. They have um, skilled nursing for people more um, challenging medical conditions like Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. And then they have the the skilled nursing facilities, which are governed by what's called OSHPOD, the state um, hospital department of uh, inspections. And uh, those facilities really have the uh, non-ambulatory patients, meaning they're, they're pretty much bedridden all day. And some of them can, can you know, get out on, on, on site or move around, but uh, most of them are, are um, pretty much confined to, to their rooms. And so the great thing about senior living, when I was growing up as a kid, I, had, I was very close to my maternal and paternal grandmothers. Okay. And my maternal grandmother was in a, an independent living facility uh, outside of L.A., California. And so every time I go there, all the little ladies would come up to me and pinch my cheeks and say, oh, Jeff, you're so cute, and give me the butterscotch candy. And, uh, and so I had a lot of fond memories, you know, when I would go to see her. And my paternal grandmother uh, did, suffered from Alzheimer's, and, uh, which ultimately led to her passing. But she was in a skilled nursing facility. And so when I would go visit her, then I kind of was acclimated and learned how those facilities work. So now, in doing what we're doing at being in construction, when we work in this type of facilities, it kind of brings back some really good memories. And so not only have we been involved in, in a lot of construction and remodel work for those facilities, but we're also um, at philanthropic uh, endeavors with them as well. So it's not just we want to be the builder and build stuff, but we like to give back for that opportunity. And it all goes back to my childhood and the memories I have of both my grandmothers. Awesome. That's, that's uh, a good a good story there. And I bet you also your experience uh, when you're doing the visiting helped you with some of the nuances on the design work that had to be done also. Yeah, it's, it's, yep. it's a different, each, each type of facility has different types of requirements. But I think the one of the fun things is really is, is every now and then you encounter a, a resident or even a patient if it's a skilled nursing and they'll tell you stories about, oh, well, I was in construction 50 years ago. We walked, we had our tool bag strapped on, and we'd walk uphill both ways five miles. And, man, you guys, construction guys are soft these days, you know. And, <laughs> uh-huh. and they get really, really passionate about telling the stories of, of their past and, and, you know, the things that they did in their careers. And it's, it's, it's quite charming to hear those kind of stories and, and amusing. And so, you know, I always like to engage with the, with the residents time to time. So. Yeah, absolutely. I've had the same experience in a different way with the single family uh, work that I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. You meet somebody that, you know, we're doing a couple thousand dollars worth of work and he's, you know, had construction experience and whatever his life is. And he's like, okay, 
What do you mean it's more than a hundred bucks? Well, I used to, and he goes into this story yep. what he used to go to. I was like, exactly. So, so you got a lot of respect for uh, b- people that have had some life experiences. Sure. And, and you, you sure. can't discount it at all. But, yeah, sometimes it's really fun to listen. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the type of work and stuff that you're doing out there, Jeff, um, it's all TI work. Is there any specialties within that, you know, that – you want to highlight? Well, one of the things that we've started to do, Jeff, is we brought design in-house. We we found that a lot of the times we get projects that don't necessarily require permitting or they don't require a, a full-blown architecture firm. And a lot of those times when we've had those projects, we've had to turn them down because we just didn't have the in-house resources to do some, some CAD drafting or some rendering or some other kind of design work. And so now we brought that in-house. So it's kind of a technological step for us to say, to go back to our clients and say, oh, by the way, you're going to have this little project if you need some kind of design, maybe for a lease exhibit or just for everyone to buy off on what we're going to do, um, that we can create that. What we've experienced in the past when we had those projects, it's like that back when you were a kid and you sit in a circle with six or seven of your friends, right? And you'd whisper something over into the friend next to you. And that would go all the way around the circle, right? By the time it came back to you, it was something completely different than what you started with. Absolutely. Right, And so that challenge kind of came into our world because it may be me walking the job with the client. Then I have to communicate that to our subcontractors. I have to communicate that to our superintendents. They got to communicate that to the field people who are working. And then, you know, ultimately by the time it gets back, it's something completely different than what we started with. So that's was a real challenge that we try to address by bringing the design in-house so we can really have all stakeholders sign off on something like that before we start. Absolutely. I, lo- I love that. Um, and that's another skill set that you have in, in, in-house. Um, so the people you have performing all that, is that something uh, they've grown up in the trades or straight out of college or you know, recruited from other firms or a variety? Well, the, the person we have that's managing for us, uh, he's actually from Syria originally and uh, worked his way up through the interior design world there and came over to America about 12 years ago or so okay. and has been working with some commercial interior, interior design firms since then. But I think to answer your question, Jeff, is really we're starting to see this uh, advancement in technology from it's almost a combination of architecture and construction and just kind of mashing that and and design, visual design work. So it's not purely architecture. It's not purely design. It's not purely construction. It's kind of a melding of all three into one. And I think that, you know, we're, we're starting to see some uh, schools, like I think it's the new school of design downtown, that they start to offer uh, programs in that type of visual design work. Because when we create these renderings, these 3D visual graphics of our projects, presented to our clients, it just knocks everybody's socks off. Yeah. Like, wow, this looks great because it's really, you know, when you, when you, when you buy a house, you get to walk through it. When you buy a car, you get to test drive it. When you build an office space, you don't get any of that. You get some lines on a piece of paper and probably 99% of the people don't know how to understand that or how to read those. Yeah. Yet we can create this, this 3d visual graphic of what they're going to get and give them real time costs and schedule information and they don't have to spend a dime for that. So that we're trying to change the industry by saying, look, you should be able to see what you're going to build before you spend another dime because you do that if you're going to buy a house or buy a car. 
why not if you're going to buy office space or rent office yeah, space? Yeah, absolutely. And I know some of the, the projects I've done in the past, and you've got a you know, quarter-inch thick uh, stack of blueprints, <laughs> and uh, they, they came from the, the architect. Um, sometimes an engineer's got a stamp on it, and you get out to the job site and you find out, you know, that sounds real good, but um, that wall's going right through where the plumbing access <laughs> is, and <laughs> it's not going to work. And then you got that whole thing. So technology, what I've seen in the last few years, is definitely up to address a lot of those issues. Yeah, back in my day, it was kind of the – the same thing we would when we'd have big projects we bid it out to the subs we get these big rolls of drawings probably yep. six or seven inch diameter and we'd order 30 40 50 sets of those things we used to do what was called project engineering bowling so we would line those up like 10 pins and take a project engineer in their chair and rolling chair and push them down the hallway oh, <laughs> see wow. if we could knock down all the plan sets probably can't get away with that now but um to to circle back to the technology thing now we send everything out electronically. Yeah. We we store everything on our, our SharePoint drive. We share a link. We add this. We, what we can do now is 3D photography indoors. So think of Google Earth inside an office space, and we can send those links over to our subcontractors. And they can visually see what the space looks like in 3D and navigate around the whole site without even having, having to be there. So you've almost eliminated the need for site walks. Exactly. In fact, I had one. I just came from one um, before I came here, and it was the same thing. I only had two people at the walk, and we had issued, we had sent out that 3D photo tour. And um, normally I would have had 15 to 20 people at those walks, and maybe as recent as four or five years ago. Now, down to two, probably down to zero soon enough, you know. So That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's just a lot of technology out there that's really making us a lot more efficient and, and helps with, you know, Obviously, with COVID things, uh, you know, site visits and stuff were, have been challenging over the last couple of years. So this this helps with that as well. So you work with a lot of subcontractors. Technology has helped you uh, uh, communicate with them in a lot more detailed, efficient manner. Um, but those subcontractors are uh, still dealing with the labor market issues. Um, any sense on where that's going here in the future? We're we going to be able to uh, outsource everything <laughs> oh, that's with a, all this technology? Well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I think that's kind of a two-part question is, is where the labor market is now. It's uh, extremely challenging. And I hear it from everybody across all walks of life, not just in, within the construction and design industries. Good people are hard to find. And, uh, you know, ultimately we, you know, encourage younger people to, to get into the trades, get into construction, get into architecture. Um, construction is never going to go away. And to kind of segue into the second part of that is, yeah, technology is great up to a certain extent. But construction has been around for thousands of years and it will continue to be around thousands of years. And those who are really good at it, the handymen, handy women, you know, people who are, are very skilled are like artists. And there's no machine on this planet, at least right now, that's going to usurp a really skilled craftsman or to take the place of, you know, skilled trades. So, yeah, it's a very challenging time in the industry right now, Jeff, to have uh, the amount of, you know, work that everybody has going on right now with the dearth of labor to supply it has been a real, real challenge. But I really hope that, you know, we start to get more and more people into the construction trades so that, you know, they can blossom and grow as, as the industry grows. Absolutely. And uh, you talk about the, being a craftsman. 
I was uh, hearing a story about a crane operator and the technology that it takes even to just set up a crane, let alone, you know, lift 2,000 pounds and swing it up and swing it around and drop it into a construction site or, you know, whatever it's needed. The guy's dealing with a few sets of toggle switches to do that. Mm-hmm. And some people might relate that to video games. But really, that guy's a craftsman. He knows how fast to pull the toggles, whether up or down. It's not computer-generated. It's a skill that he has the feeling in his hands and the experience of the loads and what can do. Mm -hmm. Um, So the craftsmanship has evolved with technology. Uh, um, Same thing, we've had a... Scott with Black Mountain Plumbing on, and one of the things that his guys experience when they're shooting the uh, drain line with a camera, you know, technology has given us the ability to have very small cameras on the end of a long, flexible uh, uh, tube, but it still takes a craftsman to operate it, to understand uh, what you're looking at, to understand, you know, which angle is best, how far in he is, you know what the picture is showing, how to deal with it. So I would 100% agree with you, Jeff, that uh, uh, construction trades are not going away. They will evolve, but they are not going away. So I agree, yeah. The, uh, uh, the use of how we use technology, I think, is uh, up for debate. I mean, but so is there anything that you uh, – have suggestions for a, a high school student that's looking at all the different gamuts of getting into the trades? Well, sure. I think, you know, I, uh, from my impression of high school curriculum these days as it relates to career uh, careers and career advancement, I think there's a lot of emphasis on STEM, yes. on technology, on computers. And, and I think that that's, you know, valid because obviously, you know, technology is evolving at such an exponential rate that there is certainly a need for, for those types of people. But by the same token, on the, uh, for construction, you know, the trades, tradesmen can start right out of high school. And, you know, there are other trade, there are trade programs around where students can go learn the trades more hands-on. I think some of the unions have, you know, apprenticeship programs, at the same thing. But um, in the bottom line to all this is if you know someone who's 18 years old wants to get into the trades, they're probably going to start making $50,000 a year right out of high school because uh, wage rates are, you know, $15, $20 an hour for non-union. When you get in a union or you get into prevailing wages on public workshops, yeah. that number doubles. And so my son who works for a, um, uh, stormwater cleaning company, and I also do CCTV of sewers. Same thing you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. He also sends the camera down the sewer lines and all that. He he's adamant about switching over to salary because when he's on a prevailing wage job, he makes a ton of money. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's understandable that you know for for students in high school and coming out of the schools uh, to get in the trades because not only do you get that opportunity to make that money, you're not saddled with the debt of a four-year school and the competition to get a a well-paying job out of college. So there's huge, huge benefit for people going in the trades these days. Or or you've invested four or five years to get a degree 
and find out when you got that first job, you really don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you start off with, a, a say, a plumbing company, and you got two or three years in that, and you say, you know, I don't like this. You know, there's so many different paths that you can take within plumbing itself, but you can easily take those skills in your, your work history and apply it to another type of a trade. Yeah, I mean, my degree is in civil engineering, and I learned how to design beams and concrete slabs and different types of structures. And when I got out of school, I went straight into construction. So yeah. I haven't learned, I haven't had to design anything since I got out of school. But uh, you know, the, you're right. That's a great example of how yeah, you go into school one thing, and then when you go out in your career, it could be something completely different that has nothing to do with your education. Yeah, um, switch gears a little bit with you, Jeff. So within your company, uh, you have a culture. You work closely with a lot of subcontractors. They all have culture. What's uh, uh, your culture, and what do you what are you seeing out there in the industry? Is there any uh, um, in, uh, transitioning to having a better culture or types of culture that are keeping employees around or used to attract them more? I'm hearing that a lot more. Yeah, the culture is an interesting thing. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of trends in the industry as well as, as in, in industry in general, not just construction. Uh, I th- I, our culture is that we like to build relationships. We operate efficiently and, um, you know, we, we exceed expectations. Those are our three primary tenets of doing business. So that applies not only to our clients, but our subcontractors and internally. And so we, we always strive to exceed, when we're working with our clients, exceed the expectations of whatever we're doing, whether it's some kind of design work, it's construction, estimating, um, you know, how we're involved with our clients, with our subcontractors, you know, it's, we expect them to comply and work with us to achieve the same level of expectations. And, but we're fair. I mean, we're not, you know, we, we pay our subs timely. We don't grind them down on their cost. We, you know, give them ample time to schedule work. And I think because of that, that's, that's bred a lot of loyalty. We have a lot of subcontractors who we really enjoy working with, and I think they enjoy working with us. They must because they keep bidding our work, so that's <laughs> probably a good thing. That's a good indication. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, I th- we try to keep it simple, Jeff. You know, there's certainly a lot of trends about, you know, working from home and having all these wonderful amenities at your office. And a lot of that, to me, is just kind of, um, just kind of nonsense, really. I don't think that employees are motivated to come to work to play ping pong or video games. I think in general, we try to find employees who are motivated to do a good job, um, to, you know, like I said, ex- exceed expectations, whoever we're dealing with. And I want our employees, when they go home at the end of the day, feel like they've actually accomplished something beneficial and meaningful. And because of that, I think that's why we've you know, been as successful as we've been. Very interesting perspective on that. You've uh, cut out all the hype and got down to the core of what uh, somebody's really looking for in a, in a career. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I've been, uh, my last uh, business here, we built a lot of decks, single family decks. And one of the things that uh, I think to the person, everybody wanted to walk away from that job being proud of their contribution to it. You know, seeing the satisfaction that the homeowner had of the quality work they did. And that, that's not the paycheck. That's not the, the career. That's something more internal for uh, self-satisfaction. So I love the way you phrase that. You're basically doing the same thing. 
Yeah, that's, I, I agree. That's, you know, we want to create that wow factor. Yeah. You know, when we have a punchless walkthrough or the tenant's kind of looking at the space for the first time in its completed state, we want them to go, oh, wow, this is great. We never thought you guys were going to pull this off in the time frame that we had and the logistical challenges you've had. And, and this place is ex- looks outstanding, you know, and that's, that's another thing that I live for every day. You know, I want our clients to say, wow, you guys did a great job. And that's the most, to me, the most meaningful thing of what I do every day. Awesome. I love that. Um, when you're uh, evaluating your subcontractors for the, your, the projects coming up, Jeff, I know you've got a lot of repeat contractors. You don't have to do this every time. But you got any criteria that um, resonates with a, a, a young adult when they're deciding to work for a a, like a contractor that you would hire. So you're, you're going to hire uh, a glass person, I'm assuming, and you got flooring people put in the floors and then T-bar ceilings and the lighting and you know, the dozens of different subcontractor trades. So you're looking for a particular set of criteria to hire them. Price is one of them, I'm sure. But whatever, what other things would uh, do you look for that uh, a young adult might be able to relate to? Well, we have a uh, we have a pre-qualification process for all of our subcontractors. Okay. I think we have over 500 pre-qualified subcontractors that work for us throughout Southern California, perhaps all of California since we're licensed in California, uh, those who are capable. But I think to be more specific to answer your question, Jeff, is, you know, we look for that level of professionalism. You know, our clients expect us to be professional. They don't expect us to be sitting outside their Class A office smoking cigarettes or, you know, having cat calls and uh, passing people and, um, you know, acting in some kind of very unprofessional manner. That's the kind of thing that gets us kicked out of properties very quickly. Um, not to say that's ever happened, but that's one of the things we instill in our culture, and we expect that of our subcontractors. And the minute that something like that happens, we put the subcontractors on notice uh, if, if there is that type of uh, behavioral issue. But I think in general, you know, all of our subcontractors we work with, because we go through that pre-qualified pro- process, have some level of management or culture built in that have that level of professionalism. And they're out trying to hire the best people as well, just like we are. And, you know, again, going back to the labor market thing, that's been a real challenge for everybody. But um, by the same token, I think that each of these companies that we work with are geared to be acting in a professional, be in a professional environment and understand that what we do in tenant improvements, we're working around tenants and owners and other people in an occupied space at all times. Could be a hospital, could be a medical clinic, could be an office building. And so there is that level of professionalism that we all have to exhibit. And uh, if we don't, we lose the client. That's the bottom line. And so those are the kind of subcontractors we want to have that understand that as much as we do and that we, you know, and that they are instilling that into their employees as well. Awesome. So it's, you phrased that very well for me, Jeff. I love the way you did it. And I'm going to tie that back into the misconception that a lot of people have what the trades are. Bunch of rough people, um, playing the loud music, you know, smoking on the job, you know, not dressed well. That's not the world anymore. There's people out there like that. But most companies are looking for that level of prof- professionalism, you know, and the, a level of uh, experience to match it and are willing to pay for those type of clients or those type of employees. 
So, you, oh yeah, did you I, see that trend? I mean, it, it's not. I mean, thirty years ago when I kind of started the construction industry and look at the track houses, man, you could do almost anything you wanted out, out there <laughs> framing in uh, Otime Lakes area. Well, I think there's there's a co- couple of. Uh, Issues that have affected that over that time. I agree with you. Back in those days, there were a lot of shorts and flip flops in the construction industry, probably more so in the residential than commercial. But I think that, you know, with litigation and, you know, safety and, um, you know, just the, the challenges of the day to day project administration to comply with rules and regulations, whether they're enforced by the owner or the facility we're working in or whether it's a, a jurisdiction that has authority like OSHA or uh, Oshpod, uh, or just, you know, in a general our compliance with safety programs, that, that level of attention to what you're doing every day, how you dress, how you act, how you operate is, is increasingly higher and will continue to get higher. I think ultimately to event, to prevent injury, to prevent litigation to prevent any kind of loss to whether it's an employee to the employer or on the site in general. I know you had mentioned crane operators and it made me think about there's you're right that that so many times that I've seen crane operators who weren't experienced and and I've seen cranes topple a couple of times. Wow. And that is one of the big, you know, liability issues in the industry to this day and it's going to continue to be that way so it's all that more important for contractors whether they're installing ceilings or whether they're uh, erecting steel or they're doing you know have tower cranes to erect tall apartment buildings you have to have those people who are focused pay attention and are you know comply with the safety programs and um are are, you know attributable or, or contributing to the project in a positive manner Absolutely. So to get that level of professionalism, um, you have to pay your dues. Um, You have to um, listen to your supervisors when you're first starting out to get there. You've gotten your education on the job while you're earning as opposed to – going to college and learning something that you really don't like later. So it's one one of the things we talk about here on the trades podcast. And I really like the way you highlighted, you know, the level and the standards that are out there today in the construction industry, at least in the TI world that you you're playing in. So thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Um, Anything else you want to talk about with uh, Bingham construction, any projects coming up that you want to, Highlight or? Well, we're, we're kind of excited that we, we've taken on a lot more of what we call design build. And as I, I mentioned earlier about bringing design in-house, we feel that that's a real positive asset to our clients because we can move through the design process a little faster, a little more efficiently. Not that I'm knocking a traditional architectural firms at all, but it's um, a wonderful opportunity to be involved and really be oversee the design as it evolves. And a lot of the times in my career we have i've experienced what's called um, scope creep or scope growth so the design as it evolves from very rudimentary space plans into construction documents tends to grow because maybe the design team's not aware of the impacts of things that get added to the scope and then all of a sudden we as a contractor go to price that out 
And uh, there's a bit of a sticker shock. I'm sure in the residential industry, you can speak very highly about that. This probably happens far more frequently and, uh, you know, than it does in commercial, but it does happen in commercial construction. So we're, we're very excited to be able to do that. And as I mentioned earlier, about to create this opportunity where our clients can actually see what they're going to get, what's, what we're going to build before they spend any money. We think that's a game changer in the industry something that's needed to happen for a long time and kind of highlighting this, this whole discussion is that marriage of technology, new world technology into an old world industry like construction. And that's, this is one of those examples that we really think is, is really creating great opportunities for our clients and future clients to, you know, evolve construction even further. I I love it. Um, You're definitely a upstanding company that uh, um, I look up to as a, an example of uh, professionalism. Uh, followed you for a while out there, Jeff. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come down to the Trades Podcast and uh, tell us a little bit about your company and how things work and your perspective on getting into the trades. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. You're welcome.